0: You're listening to the Church 2911 Sermons podcast. You can find notes for this message along with more information about our church by visiting church2911.com. Here's Jeff Robinson with this week's message. Man, I am so glad to be up here. It's been over a year since I have got to do this in front of you guys. Uh, I, I, you know, in it is awesome. The last, the last several times that I have, it's been pre-recorded or we videotaped it, we've done some things, and so I am stoked to be up here in front of you guys this morning. Uh, those of you, I see some new faces, and you're probably wondering, who is this weird dude with my grandmother's couch for a shirt this morning? <laughs> uh, if you've missed me the last couple of months, I was in Australia, mate. I had to go down there for a job and uh, put some shrimp on the bobby, and uh, had quite a good time. But uh, I am so glad to be home and be with you guys this morning. So we're going to talk this morning. Uh, the song is Who Wrote the Book of Love? We're going to talk about the Bible this morning. Um, what we want to do for this Summer Hits playlist, and you're going to hear this all summer long, we're going uh, to have some really cool music going for you. Uh, but we're also we're going to hit some of the things that are, are really important and vital to our survival as the church of Jesus Christ in this day and age. And these are things that we really need to know over the to hit. And so today, we're going to talk about the Bible, the book of love. I I, I thought it was really cool. Brent came up with this one. I thought it was awesome. Uh, the book of love. Because basically, the, the, entire, the entire portion of this book, if you read it cover to cover, is about the love of Jesus Christ. It's about the love of God who loved us so much that he sent his only son to come and to give his life so that we could have life, so that we could live. And that's what this is about. Now... The world is going to tell you it's about a lot of other things. They're going to point out, you know, all of the mean things that they find in here. Um, if you talk to my kids at different times, they're going to tell you what a mean and terrible father I am because uh, because there was the time that I wouldn't let my son set my garage on fire um, <laughs> playing with matches, and you know the time that uh, you know the time that my kids decided to lock us in the house because we sent them out in the backyard to play, so they shoved dirt and sticks in the lock so we couldn't, so we could lock us in so we couldn't get out. And uh, you know, if, if, if you talk to them about that, and the world is the same way. They're coming from a different perspective, a different angle than we are. And so we're going to talk about, I'm going to set some things straight this morning. Some of this is boring because, um, you know, I, I, I told my wife, I said, I don't know how exciting you can make this when you're talking about the apocrypha and the pseudepigrapha and all these big words like that. Uh, but we're going to try to have some fun with this this morning. So um, you guys ready? Okay. I like the energy, man. I, I, I like that. We're going here. Um, so, the first thing we want to talk about is actually, where did the Bible come from? I, I mean, you know, where, where did we get this thing? What's, what's the history of the Bible? Where did we get this? So, um, you've seen lots of things. Dan Brown wrote a book, uh, and it became a movie with Tom Hanks that you guys have probably seen. Um, some of you have. Some of you probably haven't. Uh, and it's, it's about this council that took place in Nicaea in like 1325. Um, And it was called the Council of Nicaea, the Nicene Council. The Da Vinci Code is the name of the book, and of course it had a a sequel and did a lot of things and had a lot of great stuff about it. We, especially in America, we love a good conspiracy theory, don't we? I mean, you know, we like that. There are probably some of you in here who do not believe that that we landed on the moon in 1969. You don't have to raise your hand, okay? There may be some of you guys who believe that the earth is flat because uh, hopefully not, but there may be some of you out there that do. You know, there are a few people that still do. They believe the earth is flat because we love a good conspiracy theory. We believe, we like to believe that the man is trying to hide something from us. And, you know, if you go all the way back to the Bible, you'll find that the, the, the devil started this. With Adam and Eve, he said, man, God is trying to hide something from you. He don't want you to eat this one tree. You got all this other stuff, but he do not want to do it. And he started that whole conspiracy theory. Now, I'm not saying if you're a conspiracy theorist, I love a good conspiracy. <laughs> so if you're a conspiracy theorist, I'm not saying that you're of the devil this morning. Please do not take that from what I'm saying here. What I am saying is that those conspiracy theories sometimes we love, and, and, and it plays into those things. And, and the enemy, there is an enemy. Now, I will tell you, I grew up in the Pentecostal church. Uh, I was ordained in the Assemblies of God and grew up there from the time that I was a young man. And, uh, and, and uh, I, I, I can do that if we need to, you know. But, um, and so I, I heard all that stuff. And, and, and so, so, you know, growing up, all these things are there. And, and we teach these things and we do these things. And a lot of times we give the devil a whole lot of credit for our stupidity. Okay? We like to blame the devil for our own mistakes sometimes. We blame the devil for robbing us, uh, robbing us of our finances when we eat out every night and we pay way too much money for cars and houses and things that we can't afford and we're not responsible. Um, some of you guys are mad at me now already. I'm out of the gate. Uh, but there is an enemy, and he is out. The Bible says that he is out to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He does not want you to succeed. And so, you know, th- there are things that he does about this. Contrary to the authors such as this, the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD was not meeting it was not the meeting that once at all came and, and set the canon of the Bible. If you watch the Da Vinci Code, uh, in Nicaea these guys got together and it was it was like the Catholic Church, the Lutheran Church, the Church of England, all of these uh, all of these Christian religions came together to say we're going to get our act together once and for all and so we could do this and so they they were there about some of the the tenets that we believe in the Christian faith you may have heard the Nicene Creed I believe in God the Father maker of heaven and earth uh we believe that his son is perfect came from him uh the, the actual thing says like from like that he is God he came from God and it goes on about this that's where that came from but this was not the this was not where they decided which books we're gonna put in the Bible and which books we're gonna take out of the Bible okay I told you it's gonna be boring the first part if you stick with me we'll get there Um, it was actually over many years scholars that went and did this there are other there there were many books what you have to understand is is the Bible I don't want to get ahead of myself and uh, and get Kevin in trouble back there with the the slides because I hate when people do that to me Um, what we need to understand is the books of the Bible as they were written, the Bible was not written like this, where God spoke to someone and said, Genesis chapter one. <laughs> In the beginning, you know, it, it it didn't start like that. This started off as as scrolls and parchments and letters and things that were written uh, over the course of time. We know that Jesus had these scrolls because Jesus quotes them. Jesus uh, Jesus studied these things as a as a rabbi, as a teacher. Uh, if all of his fo- all of his followers called him rabbi. They called him teacher. He studied this stuff. He knew these things. All of these books were written over the course of history. Uh, And over all these years, there were a lot of books. There were non-canon books, such as canon, of course, the 66 books we have, the non-canon, things that are outside that. There are other books that are found in the Apocrypha and the Pseudepigrapha. Uh, I just like to say that because it's a big word that makes me sound impressive because I can say that word. The Pseudepigrapha were viewed as non-canon for various reasons. Now, Now, here's the thing. Over the years, there are lots of books that are written. I have been I've been in the church my whole life. I'm 51 years old and so um, Over the last 50 years there have been tons of books that have been written about the Christian faith And probably half of them if I'm being really nice about it have been uh, I believe the um, the Greek word is baloney and so um, <laughs> you know there, there have been a lot of things I'll never forget in in 1988 it was the, re- the, the book came out, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. If you've never heard of that, obviously he didn't, um, okay? They, re- they, they, they revised it in 89, and he came back and he said, well, I, I did some calculations wrong, and it's 80, here's the 89th reason why he'll be here in 89. He didn't. And so, you know, it kind of went, I, I actually know a man, he's, he's a friend of mine, he believed this so much that he sold his possessions and he went uh, he went to Jerusalem and he was waiting on the Mount of Olives for Jesus to come back in September of 1988. Because it had to be true. And just like that, there were a lot of books that were written over the same amount of time, people who wrote things through this. And so as the scholars and the teachers um, throughout Christian history, there are other books. The Apocrypha... Uh, I know some of you guys came up in a catholic church the apocrypha you've seen some of these books uh the first and second maccabees uh they're actually in the catholic bible and so um they're they're part of the apocrypha the apocrypha um is a fancy word it sounds like this really you know weird you know word that 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 dan brown would put in uh the da vinci code but um the apocrypha actually means lost scrolls or hidden hidden texts and so basically these are books that you know what we don't necessarily believe this is the teachers over the course of time we don't necessarily believe that these are 100% accurate, and so we're not sure. So these are good books. You can read them. You can go through them. And feel free. You can go find the Apocrypha. You have the Maccabees. Um, there are a lot of different books with that. The Pseudepigrapha, however, this is a fancy word that means um, false, false name or false narrative. And so, basically, these are books that are written there. Uh, you have the book of Enoch, and you have some other books that are there. And you may have heard from these. And people will take stories, uh, and, and they'll take stories from these, and they'll pull them out, and they'll say, well, you know, if the Bible is true, this is, they, the man don't want you to know this. And so, you know, this is, this is some other stuff. And these are things that weren't verified or something, and so they wanted to put them out. All right, I'm laying this boring stuff because I want you to understand where the Bible came from. Because here's the deal. If you profess to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and you say that the Bible is the Word of God, and you walk around with this thing, you are going to run into people they are going to say, oh, yeah? Well, if the Bible's true, then how come? If the Bible's true, then what about? And so I want you to understand, when somebody comes to you and they talk about these things, and they talk about the Gospel of Thomas and the stories of Jesus as a young boy where, he, uh, where the bird dies, and he picks it up and he brings it back to life in the, in the Gospel of Thomas, and they say, well, what about that? Because, you know, you say the first miracle is where he turned water into wine. You say, well, it's not in the Bible. That's actually in the Apocrypha. That's in the Pseudepigrapha. These are things that, I don't, plus, you know, you get to say Pseudepigrapha. You know, it's a really cool, it makes you sound smart, I'm telling you. If you put the glasses on with it, it really works, you know. See? Pseudepigrapha. You know, it, it, just, it, just, it just feels smart. Um, but these non-can books, these are things that are part of the history. Um, Eusebius, as a Christian historian from the 3rd century, and he is the one who provided us actually one of the earliest lists of what is canon in these books. And so, you know, this is, it was around the time of the Nicene. He's one who came out of the list. He was actually at uh, the council at Nicaea. But it didn't come out of that. They didn't side. This was a guy who over the, over the centuries he started, because people, at this time, there wasn't a, there wasn't a book that had 66 books or 66 uh, letters, 66 stories. There weren't things in there. This was was a group of parchments and books and things that the the church teachers and scholars would teach from. And so Eusebius at this time was a historian, and so he said, look, this is kind of what everybody has come to at this point, and this is where we get the 66 books we have today. Okay, enough of the boring history stuff, all right? So now we move on to the next thing, and this is the important thing that you guys want. This is why you came this morning. Why should I believe the Bible? Everybody ever been asked that? If you uh, if you talk to a friend who's not a Christian or maybe even a friend, you know, who's, you know, he's spiritual uh, or he's, you know, he, he's, he's open or things, they say, why should I believe the Bible? I mean, the Bible has so many things about it. There are a lot of things. And so let's look at a couple of the things. One of the first ones they're going to tell you is that you shouldn't believe it because it's oral tradition. The Bible was passed down from oral tradition for hundreds and hundreds of years before it was ever written down. And so, you know, it's just stories that came and so... Uh, you really can't believe the Bible for that. All right. First off, uh, we know that one of the earliest Hebrew alphabets was found in 1000 BC or BCE if you're talking to these people before Common Era instead of before Christ. And so, um, in 1000 BC, we know that they were they were writing and they, they had alphabets and writing stuff. That I know this, I can see the look on your faces like, dude, uh, I didn't want to go to school this morning. So, uh, but this is one of those that's kind of hard. And I promise we're going to get there. The oral traditions, they talk about it. They talk about the fact it was passed down. What, what they failed to, to recognize is that all ancient history was passed down from oral tradition for a while before they actually started writing things. It started, you have to know, there are oral tradition in my family where I, there, was a, there was a time in my life where God healed me. I fully believe he healed me from a cancerous spot. There was a spot that the, the doctor found. My wife found it. She told me to go to the doctor. The doctor saw it. The doctor said, we need to get this checked out ASAP. Um, I went to the doctor three weeks later. My friends has been praying. We did things. And I went back, and the, the specialist looked at it, and they went, what spot? I, I, don't, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Now, you can tell me that it was just a misunderstanding. I believe with all my heart that God healed me at that point. And so I tell my son the things that happened, and I give him that, and, and I pass it down because I want him to know that God can heal because one day he's going to find himself in that. And then he's going to teach his son. I had a grandson recently, by the way, Liam. Uh, feel free to feel free to see me after service. I have plenty of pictures. And, uh, but, you know, and, and so I want him to teach Liam about the things And I want Liam to teach his son, and I want his son to teach his son. And you can call it oral tradition because maybe I didn't write the story down, but this is truth that is passed down for the next generation until someone says, "You know what? This is an important enough thing that we need to write this thing down." And so, oral tradition is actually how most of most all ancient history was passed down from time to time. Um, We like to tear apart the Bible for oral tradition, but All of the ancient Buddhist manuscripts, all of the the Buddhist uh, documents were passed down, oral tradition, for thousands of years before they began to write them down and they came into the thing. All of the stories that we know, the the, the historical stories that we think of, um, Camelot and King Arthur, all of that, oral tradition for hundreds of years before anybody wrote this story. Uh, Robin Hood hundreds of years before anybody ever wrote this stuff down. All the things that we that we believe to be very accurate, things that we will take to our grave to this day, were passed down through oral tradition for a while before it was ever written down. So when people try to tell you you can't really believe the Bible because it was passed down oral tradition for hundreds of years and people told this story to that and they told their story until it was written down, you need to understand that's just the way that ancient history worked. Because they didn't have that they didn't do all this. They told stories. They told it. Um, in my trips in Australia, uh, I got to tour the Sydney Opera House. <clears throat> it's, a, uh, it's an iconic location. If you don't know what it is, if I showed you the picture of the, you know, the, the things, you would immediately say, Oh, I know that building. Um, and it was an awesome thing. It's built on a site where the Aborigines actually had, this was a place where all of the tribes of the Aborigines would come together and they would tell stories on the spot. And, and, and they celebrate the fact that this spot for thousands of years has been used to tell stories. Aborigines, all of their history, everything was oral tradition. It came down until somebody said, hey, that's a pretty good story. We should write that down. And they began to write it down and keep history. Oral traditions is one of the big things that they do. The next one, one of the others that they come against us with is the uh, historical inaccuracies. There are people that will tell you that the Bible is historically inaccurate. They'll tell you, well, you know... Uh, not all of the dates line up with uh, with with what we know to be history again history was passed down through oral tradition and so these dates sometimes. the older I get the fuzzier my memory gets okay you know when I was young I had a mind like a steel trap man I could I, I could memorize numbers I could do these things the older I get the other side of 40, man, it was all downhill from there. You know, the, 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 the memory's starting to fade. They say, the, um, they say the mind is the second thing to go, and I, I don't remember the first. But um, <laughs> the historical inaccuracies. Many people attack the veracity of the Bible because of the lack of historical evidence. You need to know some names. Flavius Josephus. Flavius Josephus was a first-century Jewish scholar. <clears throat> he wrote the book called Antiquities of the Jews. Uh, and he wrote about the history of the Jewish people. It's it's actually celebrated by most historians as an as an actual document, one that's very historically accurate for that age period. And he mentions and talks explicitly about Jesus and about several of the other characters in the Bible. He talks about them in, in, his, in, in, in historical context and how these guys came in. Uh, Flavius Josephus was just one of them who wrote about it. Uh, you can go back and you can look at the archaeological and the historical events that we know there are kings that are listed in the Bible where it talks about uh, during the time of of the Israelites being held captive uh, by the pharaohs of Egypt. We know that these guys were actually kings. You can go look it up. You can go see. And so when people begin to come at you and they begin to ask about the historical accuracies, I will tell you this. Throughout history, the people who have attacked Jesus the people who have who have tried to deny Jesus and deny his teachings and tried to come against his disciples have never denied the fact that Jesus existed. They simply denied that he was who he said he was. I, I don't know about you, but for me, for me, that really, that really says something, the fact that I'm not saying that there wasn't a Jesus. I'm not saying that Jesus wasn't, I'm not even saying he wasn't a teacher. I'm saying that, He wasn't actually the Son of God and you've heard Rick say this and 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 I've heard other people say this if Jesus is not who he said he was then everything that we do is for naught if Jesus was simply insane or he was a liar then we need to find something better to do with our time on Sunday morning there comes a point with the word there comes a point when you are a disciple or a follower of Jesus that you have to make a leap of faith for some of you it's that leap of faith that says that God can actually forgive me for the things I've done there's some of you in here this morning and you've you've done things you've sinned you've uh, you've made decisions and you think, I don't even love myself. How in the world can God love me? Yeah, yeah. And you have to make that leap of faith that, you know what? God loves you, and God can forgive you. Yeah. There's some of you this morning that that leap of faith may be that, you know what? There's just, too many, there's just too many things in the Bible. What we need to understand about the Word of God, about the Bible, is that there are, the more that we get into it, every document Every historical event, everything can be looked at from two or three different directions. And when we go into it with the mindset that there is no way that this is right and I'm going to prove it's wrong, then we begin to see things and begin to put things together in a certain way. If you've been alive for the last eight years or so, and you've been a part of the politics in the United States of America of any way... Then you know this to be true, because there are some of you this morning who believe that in that four years ago, five years ago now, that a uh, a railroad job of historical proportions happened, and there was um, there was interference in our election, and Donald Trump was elected president. There are others of you who believe that that was absolutely 100% legitimate. However, about a year ago (laughs) uh, something else happened and it was it was a, a robbery of historical proportions and Trump was voted out and Joe Biden was elected president I don't care which side of those you come on the fact of the matter is it all depends on where you come from how you begin to put those pieces of the puzzle together and it's the same way with the Word of God when when I start out and I believe I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth. I believe that his Son comes like from like, that he was made of him. I believe that this is the unerrant word of God. I believe that God moved upon the hearts of men to write over hundreds and thousands of years letters and and epistles and stories that came down and were put together in this. Because you see, if you believe that the God that we sing about who makes the darkness tremble, if you believe that the God that we sing about who takes away fear... If you believe that the God who who calls us his sons and daughters and can take away that fear, if you believe that he can do that, if you believe that God can heal, if you believe that God can, can bless and bring things to you, then how can you not believe that it's highly possible that God was able to keep these stories intact and put them together in the word of God? Because again... If God is not who he says he is, then none of this, none of this is true. None of it matters. So when we take that leap and we believe that God is God, and if you believe that God is who he says he is, then you have to believe that the Word of God is the Word of God. So if you, let's say you now, you've made the leap, you know a little bit about historical perspective, you've made the leap and you believe that this is the Word of God. Is the Bible God's word? How do how do I know that this actually came from God? How do I know that this did this? I'm going to give you scriptures because the scripture is its own endorsement. Because if you believe that God is God, and and, and understand, if you're here this morning and 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 you maybe you got drugged here by a parent, maybe you got uh, maybe you got tricked into coming by a friend who offered to buy you breakfast or lunch, maybe uh, you know I don't know. Maybe you thought it was a coffee shop and you came in to get coffee this morning and you got stuck in a church service. I don't know how this happened. But maybe you're here this morning and you're like, I do not believe that the Bible is God's word. I do not believe that. I cannot change your mind. There comes a time where there's a leap of faith. Um, if you don't believe in the law of gravity, I can convince you with everything that I have. I can show you Um but if you want to, you know, jump off the side of the building, please do it when we're not here because uh, we don't want uh, we don't want the liability involved with that. But um, you know, if 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 you don't believe in that, I can't change your mind. If you believe that the Earth is flat, having seen pictures taken from telescopes and, and or, or pictures taken from satellites and pictures taken uh, from spaceships, if you if, if you absolutely believe the Earth is flat, I can't I I, I can't help you. I can only tell you, I can show you the evidence that I know, and I can help you with that, but I can't change your mind. But when you come to that place that you say, okay, this is the Word of God, how can I be sure? The Word of God speaks for itself. Let me show you some scripture this morning, and there's more scripture than this on the Sunday's page, I believe. Um, Psalm 119.11. This is the psalmist David writes, Thy word have I laid up in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Your word... Your, your, the, the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah that he studied. He said, your word have I studied and put in my heart so that I won't sin against you. Second um, Timothy 3.16. Every part of Scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Through the word, we are put together and shaped up for the task that God has for us. Through the word. Um, If you look, Psalm 19.7, the revelation of God, the word of God, the story of God is whole and pulls our lives together. The signposts of God are clear and point out the right road. Uh, John 8.31, that Jesus turned to the Jews who had claimed to believe him, and he said, if you stick with this, he's he's preaching the word, he said, if you stick with this, living out the things that I've taught you, you are my disciples for sure, and then you will experience for yourself the truth, and the truth will set you free. I've got about six or eight other scriptures in there where the Bible actually endorses There are different books. And, and so here's, here is the thing where we come to with the Word of God. When the Word of God, if if it was written by... And, and, and there are a lot of stories out there. Um, originally, they believed that the first five books were written by Moses. And they said, well, the end of Deuteronomy actually talks about Moses' death. That was a pretty good trick if Moses wrote about his own death. Um, you know, but hey... Uh, you know and, and there are things in there um when I went to college Rick and I started to uh, I, I took um, <clears throat> I went to Sanford, and then when I was in the University of Florida system I was in Florida to finish my degree I took some uh, I, I, I took Old Testament New Testament some things and a, in a secular setting and so it was really interesting to watch the difference in those the difference in the Bible classes that I had to take for the Assemblies of God and so uh, they begin to talk about the different authors, and so, you know, Isaiah really wasn't one book. It was written by three different people, and, you know, uh, if you look at Genesis, it's actually written by, you know, it's, it's written by different people, and they point to different things. Ultimately, the Bible was written by God. He moved on the hearts of men. He gave stories, and he wrote things, just like if you believe that your pastor stands before you and brings you the Word of God, you have to decide is this God or is this Rick? Or is this David talking to Rick? You know, is this... <laughs> you have to decide, is this Jeff or is this God? Because if it's Jeff, don't believe it. That dude is nuts. I'm Jeff, for those of you that, were, you know, didn't quite catch that part. You know, when we come to that, and, and so when, when I begin to look at the Bible... If I start off knowing that this is the Word of God, and I begin to go and I see where the Word talks about itself in the Word, and it refers in and, and, and these books, authors who are hundreds of years apart go back, and they point to this scripture, and they go back and they pull scripture. Then you begin to see how these books tie together and how the Word of God has a consistent message all the way through. And it's easy just as just as my kids look at me at different times of my... Because, you know... Those of you who are parents, and those of you who have made it to grandparents, and those who do these things, you understand that the more you learn, the different your parenting technique becomes. Yep. With my first kid, <laughs> you know, I, everything was everything had to be this way. Where's that uh, my grandson, this is their first child, and so, um, you know, it's it's the first one. You know, the first one, everything is done precise. You boil everything, you get the milk to a precise temperature, you have the gauges, you have this, oh, he sneezed, let's go to the doctor. You know, we have these things. By the time the second and third one comes along, it's like, is there blood? Is there a bone sticking out? Go play, I'll get with you in a minute, I'm busy. You drop the pacifier, you know, the first one, You drop, the pacifier drops, you have to boil it, and You have to or throw it away and get a new one. By the time the third one, you pick it up, you lick it off, and you give it back, you know, stick it back in her mouth. You know, it's that... And just as my kids, somebody said, "ew," I heard that. Um, Just as my kids have seen me over the course of the last 30 years of their lives, and they begin to see things, and they can look—if they take one instance out—and they say, "This man and this man are not the same persons," and there's no way that story lines up. Much the way that we do that with God, and 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 it's not even sometimes it's not even that in my own life with my father. If I look back to the 19-year-old me, who was who was a creative musician, who saw things a certain way, and I saw my father, who's not creative, but he's you know he's a hands-on work person, you know he worked with his hands and he did this, and he was not the creative type, and I look back at those differences, and I look at the relationship that I have now with my 70-year-old father, who's in, my 73-year-old father, who's in a nursing home and who I have to go and help take care of him. Before I put him there, I had to bathe and I had to take care of him. And I look at those two relationships. This is not the same relationship. This is not the same person. But when you look at that and when you live it and when you look at the history together, you understand. My perception of God has changed from the time I got saved when I was a kid to the time in my 50s where I'm a grandfather and I've spent time as a worship pastor and I've spent time preaching the Word of God. The more that that I've had to depend on God, the times that my wife and I had no money at Christmas time, and we had to trust God. The times that that we had two small children and we were in ministry, and we had no food in the house, and we weren't sure how God was gonna how God was gonna get us out of this one. <laughs> and God made a way. And we show up at church the next day, and a lady works in the nursery said, "Hey." I have a lot of foster kids, and they brought us extra food this month. You guys don't know anybody that needs this, do you? God is awesome. The Word of God is the Word that tells us these things. And you see, many times, and, and this is where it starts to get kind of it, itchy and tricky. and The Word of God is supposed to make you uncomfortable. We look at the word and we say, ooh, I don't really like the way that that does because that, that's kind of offensive, God. The word of God is made to be offensive. Because Jesus said, I came to comfort the afflicted. And uh, many scholars believe he left out an afflict the comfortable. I'm just kidding. He didn't say that. But, but the word is made to challenge us so that we can see. The Bible says that we don't even, I don't know my own heart. I think I'm pure, but I don't even know my own heart. How can I do that? God, judge me. Look at my heart. The Word of God is the thing that's there. And so when I look at the Word, and there are a lot of things in society today that they would tell us that this is antiquated and that this doesn't fit, and you need to throw it out because it's offensive. And we begin to, and I understand, I'm at the end of my time, but there's just so much about this. There's so much today that what we begin to do, and it's not just... It's easy for us to blame our, our younger guys, but we started it, and our parents start because there were verses that there are verses that we didn't like, and that we you know that kind of makes us uncomfortable. So we're gonna that Jesus didn't really mean that. <laughs> That's not what Jesus meant. And then they see us, we see our parents, and so we begin to say, well, I I don't I'm not sure that that verse really means that. If you go back and you begin. If you go back and you study the Greek, you'll find that that's not exactly what Jesus meant. You don't speak Greek. Don't give me that. And then our kids do the same, and and then we decide to stand up and say, we need to have a revival, and we need the Word of God. But the truth of the matter is, the world despises the Word, and they do not believe it because the church of Jesus Christ has not lived it. We have not lived and done what this Word says. We've picked and choosed, and we've done what we could do as long as the parts that made us comfortable and we liked it. It says I shouldn't eat pork, but I sure like barbecue, so I'm going to ignore that part. But that verse about homosexuals, you know, two, two chapters over that, I'm going to stick to that one because, you know, I don't like dudes, and I don't like other dudes that like dudes, so I'm not going to do that part. <laughs> start stepping on toes when you start looking at some of those. We look at the scripture that says that, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. And we start saying, well, what if my neighbor voted for Biden or Trump? Love your neighbor. What if my neighbor is weird? <laughs> love your neighbor. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Ultimately, this is the... In uh, in 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 my studies and going and, and going to school, they teach you at the end of your sermon that you have to you have to make an application. Otherwise, the last the last hour or 45 minutes of you guys you know you're gonna walk out of here and it doesn't mean anything. So, here's our application for today. The application is this: read the Bible. Right. You need to read your Bible. Yes. When somebody comes and they tells you, well, doesn't the Bible say that? Doesn't the Bible say that cleanliness is next to godliness, and so, you know, you should do this? If you read the Bible, you say, no, no that's second granny 317. That's, that's not even the pseudepigrapha. That's something else altogether. That's the granny And so, when they begin to tell you things about, well, you know, the Bible says, Bible says don't judge. Actually, what the Bible says is that when you judge, understand that you're going to be judged by that same measure. And so as long as we're judging by what the Word of God says we're going to be judged by what the Word of God says but we have to read our Bible and understand what that comes from the next thing that I hold up here is don't be afraid to ask questions because there's some weird stuff in here okay there's stuff in here that was written a long time ago and over the course of translations sometimes we look at it and say does that mean what I think it means I'm not sure don't be afraid to ask somebody. Yes. Call Pastor Rick. Call 476 2911. 476 877 Cash Now. I can't remember all those numbers. <laughs> I 476 2911. Text that number. Ask us questions. Find me afterwards. I'll give you my email address, uh, pjeffro at charter.net. P-J-E-F-F-R-O at charter.net. Um, you know, email me. Ask me questions. There, there are, are guys in here. Who, who are great, Kurt, man, there are a lot of guys in here who know the Word. Don't be afraid to ask somebody. When we run into these questions, instead, what we do a lot of times is we find something I don't like that. I don't agree with it. The last thing this morning that I want to challenge you to do, trust but verify, to quote Ronald Reagan, trust but verify. Go and look it up. If you don't know what that quote came from, look it up. It's pretty cool if you like history. Not all sources hold up to scrutiny. The wonderful thing about living today is that you have Google. (laughs) You have, or Bing, or whatever search engine it is that lights your fire. You know, there are plenty of them out there. And so you have these things that you can go and look it up. However, hopefully, not all of you understand this because I'm friends with you on Facebook. Not everything you see on the internet is true. I know, I know. <laughs> Abe Lincoln said it. Not everything that you read on the internet is true. You have to. Not everything that we read. Trust but verify. When you read and you see these things, the first thing that I do when I see a story that comes up on, on, uh, on the internet. Or one of the guys at work brings it up. I I work with a young man who considers himself an atheist. Um, But he looks up to me, and so I'm doing everything I can do to be Jesus to this young man so that one day he will come to know that there is a God and that God loves him. You see, if I just turn my back and say, you're an atheist, you don't believe in God, then get away from me, you dirty sinner. I've just reinforced every stereotype that young man has ever seen in church. The sources when they come first thing I do is I go and look it up and try to find that article and read it for myself because otherwise we spread stuff and we begin to be seen because here's the thing and I'm closing with this the enemy that we have is not stupid he was an archangel he was one of the, the firstborn of heaven. He was one of the archangels that was created by God, one of the first created. Jesus was not created. Jesus is God, and he's been here forever. Don't ask me to explain that one because I don't get it. That's a wreck question. <laughs> but he knows, he knows God. He knows the Word. He was there for most of it. He witnessed. He witnessed history, and he knows these things, and he understands that if he can get us to doubt then he's got us. Because when we begin to doubt, when I begin to doubt the veracity of God's word, then I begin to doubt what God tells me today. You want to know the reason that, you want to know the reason it's so important that pastors and and men of God live like men of God? It's because when they stand here and you see us live like anybody else at any other day of the week, then you say, you know what, I can't believe him. He's no better than I am. The truth of the matter is, I'm not any better than you are. But I have to be honest about it and say, I made a mistake. I made this mistake. Please forgive me. It's important that I want my kids to follow that I say, hey, I screwed up. Dad shouldn't have yelled like that. I apologize. Live the Word of God. And the only way you can do that is to read the Word of God. And the only way you can live it is if you understand it, which means you have to talk to people and ask that.